everyone. Welcome to Hitchcock University, where you learn filmmaking from the masters. And I do want to thank you so much for actually listening. I've been really encouraged by the amount of at least clicks that I'm getting. Uh, I don't know how many people are actually listening all the way through. I haven't invested yet in a uh, in a statistics tracking anything, but but I am really encouraged to see that someone out there is listening. And I just want to say um, I'm going to take kind of a different approach as we move forward. I've got um, uh, my goal is to try to make these a little more specific instead of broad sweeping generals uh, because what I realize is that I've kind of kind of used a lot of really good material really early and I want to save some of that so that there's actually a whole season for you guys to listen to and we're not just repeating ourselves by the time we get to I don't know episode 25 or 26 this year so let me know how this works for you guys if this sounds better for you if this makes more sense um yeah, I'd love to hear some feedback from anybody at this point, really. Uh, but let's get back to where we were. We were talking about uh, the 39 steps and the man who knew too much and how Hitch was coming out of sort of this this long slump of his. And we're going to fast forward about three years to one of Hitch's favorite, uh, favorite of his own films, and, and he said his favorite of his British films, which I find really interesting because... Hitch didn't didn't come up with this idea and then collaborate one on one with the writers as he usually did. What he actually did was was this was a script that was already in existence and then he came on board and made adjustments. So what we end up with is a is kind of an ironic situation where one of his own favorite British films ends up kind of going against some of the things that we've already talked about because the adaptation of this film is very very close to the novel. I've been reading at least the plot points are. The characters have been very much reworked, but but the plot points as compared to the novel are very similar. I've been reading everything I can get my hands on that Hitch adapted so that when I get to the film, I can see what he kept, what he dropped, etc. And and so far, this is definitely the closest of, of any of his adaptations. And I think that's that's really ironic considering that it went down as one of Hitch's favorite of any of the films that he made. And the movie that we're talking about is The Lady Vanishes, 1938, I believe. And The Lady Vanishes is a story about a young woman named Iris who is returning home after extended after an extended vacation. And on her way back, she meets a woman named Miss Froy. And while they are on the train from from this fictional country to London, Miss Froy disappears. And on top of that, nobody on the train seems to have ever seen her or know that she exists. If you've ever seen the movie Flight Plan with Jodie Foster and Sean Bean, where Jodie Foster's kid disappears, disappears on a transatlantic flight, it's kind of like that. But yeah, so you have this this mystery that needs to be solved. Did Miss Roy actually exist? If she did, where the heck did she go? And as with any film that I'm going to bring to you, I recommend that you watch it. It is one of Hitch's classics, and it's his. It's one of his personal favorites. So let's let's get into this movie and kind of break it down. Like I said, I'm going to try to be more and more specific with this with this episode and with future episodes. Uh, so that I can give you the same nuggets of, of truth according to Hitchcock that I was trying to give you anyway, but 
hopefully we'll go a little bit more in depth and you can get a better understanding of what those are and how to actually apply them when you go out and make your own films. So we're going to talk about something that, that Hitch talks about ad nauseum, and I'm going to talk about ad nauseum, but we're really going to get into some specifics with it, and that is visual storytelling. How do you tell a story without any dialogue, without any audio, with just the the pictures that are flickering at 24 frames, you know, 24 times in a second? How does that tell a story? And in order to help you understand this, I'm going to I'm going to break down the first minute of The Lady Vanishes as Hitchcock did it. That way I don't give away any spoilers, but you can still understand what I'm what I'm talking about because this first minute is done like a silent film. There's no dialogue, there's no anything. It's just the visuals. So, movie opens on a credit roll. We're going to skip through that because that's what you did in the 30s and 40s and and back in the day, you you opened with the credits. And the credits fade out. And behind the credits this whole time has been this shot of a mountain, of a, of a mountain range. And we go from the credits dissolving out to the camera craning down and to the right. So as we come down off this mountain, we see a train station. And then in the foreground of that train station is an avalanche blocking the rails. And then as we continue down to the right, we see a small village. And we go through the buildings of this village to one building in particular. And that's where we start to push in toward the window. And then we dissolve. But I'm going to stop right there. Let's think about what we just set up in that shot. We set up the location. We know exactly where we are. We're in a mountain range. Being a European film, you would probably think it's the Alps. It's actually not the Alps. It's a fictional country, but... That's not really the important part. The important part is that we're in the mountains somewhere. There is a train that is stopped at the station. That is an important part in the story that we that 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 we're setting up early on. This idea of trains of transportation, and we see the avalanche that is stopped at the station, which is about to set up our entire first act for us. We don't know that yet as the audience, but that's that's where we're going with this. And then we see the village. And now we're pushing in toward one part of the village. We are isolating a single building that, again, will, will contain our, almost our entire first act. Boom. We push into the window, and as I said, we dissolve. Now we're inside this building, and we see what it is is that it's a small inn. And in the lobby of this inn, there are people strewn about with their luggage clearly waiting for the train that we saw outside. Down from the stairs in the background, we see Miss Freud. We don't know her yet, but we know that she's going to be important because we punch in when she reaches the desk and the clerk is there talking to her. They have a brief exchange, very happy, very pleasant. And then we cut 90 degrees to shoot over the counter toward the door where Miss Freud leaves Two gentlemen pop up and very clumsily help her with the door in a humorous, maybe not comedic, but at least humorous note. She leaves. They sit back down. We punch in on them as they sit down for a two-shot. And the door flies open and two men carrying luggage come in and we hear our first lines of dialogue. 
Let me walk you through that sequence again. We've set up our second location, uh, our, our location within the general location, so, so a sort of a specific location. We're at an inn. We're clearly at an inn that, that many travelers pass through, hence all the luggage. Uh, sort of a resort town, you would imagine. We've set up Miss Froy, who becomes a very crucial character, the one that the entire story really is about. Or, well, maybe not about, but centers around. I guess that's a better way to say it. We see the clerk, who is important in the first act. And we see two gentlemen who were so crucial and hysterical in this movie that they went on to have a career together in other films and in radio and I believe in television. Their names were, or their character names, I should say, their character names were Caldecott and Charters, played by Nowton, Wayne, and Basil Radford, respectively. And those characters went on to have an entire career just in, just that was that literally spawned from this movie. So we've set Miss Froy up by giving her a punch in by isolating her from the rest of what's going on. And we've given these two characters significance by isolating them from what's going on that's what directing is it's about showing the audience excuse me it's about showing the audience what you want them to see what is important to the, your story and how you're telling it that's visual storytelling you're literally just piecing a story together by showing instead of telling instead of having the clerk say into the telephone, oh yes, Miss Froy, come right down, and then looking over to the two gentlemen, Mr. Caldecott and Mr. Charters, please come here, or, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> instead of the dialogue, we just replace it with the visuals. That's all we need. And through the interactions that we see, we see Miss Froy very happy, very smiling. We get a sense of who she is. And with Caldecott and Charters kind of fumbling around with the door, trying to hold it open for her, we get a sense of of who they are, these kind of bumbling comedic characters. That's visual storytelling at its simplest. This isn't the lodger where <laughs> where you're putting the camera shooting up into a chandelier and you see the ceiling and then and then the ceiling dissolves away and the lodger's walking back and forth over a sheet of glass. You know, that we're, we're not doing anything complex here. All we're doing is simply showing instead of telling. You know, one of my, one of my least favorite examples of, of telling instead of just showing is, is when people do it, go, go part way. You'll see like a, like a, like an overhead shot of, of some city with its famous landmarks. Say you're in Rome and you can see the Colosseum in the shot. We know we're in Rome. You don't have to tell us we're in Rome. We know we're in Rome. You know, sometimes sometimes they'll do one worse and they'll really treat the audience like they're stupid. You see a shot of, of the Colosseum in Rome and then boom, in big letters, Rome across the screen. See, usually that's not needed. We know where we are. I saw the Colosseum. We're in Rome. And you definitely don't have to tell the audience. It's that simplicity. It's just piecing together the story through the visuals. It's it's showing what's happening. And if you're a good director, you're you're choosing specific elements to hone in on. That's really what directing is, at least when you're talking about directing the camera. But I want to talk about another side of directing, which is 
directing the actors because this is another aspect of visual storytelling that i think a lot of people overlook um performance is crucial and performance without words is even more crucial it's not just can your actor deliver the dialogue in a convincing manner it's can your actor give a look that communicates everything you need to know you know you've heard the phrase that a picture is worth a thousand words i i totally agree with that i think that that if if an actor can just well here let me use let me use hitch's hitch's definition of a good screen actor he says that a good screen actor can do nothing well imagine an actor sitting down okay well a good screen actor is going to know exactly how that character would sit down into a chair do they plop into it do they do they kind of slink into it do they i'm not an actor so for me coming up with examples might be a little hard but how does an, how does this character sit down that communicates exactly where they are are they a person who's in power and in charge are they a person who's defeated are they a person who's lazy all these things are crucial when it comes to acting and how to direct an actor so i'm going to talk a little bit about about how hitch wanted to direct actors i'm not going to give you everything because I know I'm going to have to come back to this at some point, but I am going to give you a taste. So all of this comes from some aspects of direction in Sidney Gottlieb's Hitchcock on Hitchcock. This is volume one, not volume two. I think we've talked about how there's two volumes of that. Um, Hitch writes, A good screen actor is someone who knows how to express a mood or intention with the slightest gesture or change of expression. That's a, that's an actor who can do nothing well. That's the ability to communicate something with just with just the flick of an uh, just the flicker of an eye or just just uh, here's a classic one. You think about about the the mafia boss. I love mafia films. Talk about the mafia boss who's sitting at the table with everybody. He's got his hands on the table, clasped together, you know, resting on his elbow. Well, his hands aren't on the table. His elbows are on the table. Hands kind of clasped together up, up around his chin. Somebody says something, and as if to say, that's acceptable, he, 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 he opens up his hands just the slightest bit and gives just the slightest nod, slightest agreement in his eyes. That's it. That's all you need. You don't need... You don't need a uh, uh, good. I like you know, you know. You know. I like this. You know. You don't need that. You just need the slightest. Mm. That's all it takes. And the reason it only takes that much is because we can put the camera anywhere. We can get the camera as close as we have to. We can zoom. Well, not zoom in, but we can put on the longest telephoto lens we have to to get the shot to get as close as we need to. That's the beauty of filmmaking is that we have the close up. We have the long shot. We have the medium shot. We can get in anywhere we need to. And understanding how to pull together the right pieces is part of directing. But knowing how to get your, your actor to the smallest possible that they can be, the slightest gesture, the smallest movement, the, the most subtle that they can be, that's crucial to getting a believable performance. Hitch, Hitch said that another important aspect was the ability to register emotion on their face. Watch any movie and look at how the actors are able to, to demonstrate emotion with just their face. 
there's no grand gesturing there's nothing of that kind it's it's the ability in acting terms it is the ability to be small it's the ability to with the corners of your mouth change change moods with with your your eyes and your eyebrows to change expression it's sometimes that small and then i'm gonna i'm i'm, I'm gonna walk you through an example that that hitchcock uses where he says that that a director can come in handy here because a director can give an actor a bit of business to do you know in such a way that that it can help the actor with that expression he said he 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 uses the example in this essay of let's say a man's enemy walks into the room if the man is just sitting there in the chair looking at the door and the door opens up and his enemy comes in it's it's difficult for an actor to feel helpless you know they're more likely to feel prepared and that's easier to communicate it's harder to get them to helplessness but if you put them in a vulnerable situation and he uses the ideas of you know reaching across the table to put out his cigarette in the ashtray or he's or maybe maybe he's reaching across his desk to to buzz his secretary or something like that well now he's in a situation where he can't grab a weapon he's sprawled out across his desk in a very vulnerable state or maybe you change it up so that instead of him being instead of him being seated maybe he's at a party and he's enjoying his time with his friend smiling laughing having a good time and out of the corner of his eye he sees the same enemy and that chain you're giving the actor a chance to change expression to go from smiling and happy to stricken terror you're giving your actor an opportunity to to make a change to make a choice in their acting by giving them a contrasting business before so like the example that i used before where i was talking about caldecott and charters the bumbling men who help miss Freud with the door they're sitting down near the door and when miss Freud leaves they both rise very politely and both have to stumble through each other and with each other to get to the door to be these polite gentlemen that they're trying to be is that sort of thing it's giving your actors something different from what they need to do if they were already standing there it could lose some of its comedic timing some of the choices that the actors could make to make it really funny instead you get instead you have these men who are seated and have to pop up to do something it gives the actor an extra moment an extra bit of of dy dynamism if maybe that's a poor word but an extra an extra opportunity to really make something of this of the moment that you've given them to act yeah that's all i have for today um lady vanishes is a great film y'all need to go see it y'all did i just say that i really don't <laughs> I lived in the South, and that's only the second time in my life I've said that unintentionally. I apologize. Well, I guess I don't need to apologize to you. Anyway, um, I hope everyone goes goes to see it, uh, or goes to see it. I hope everyone watches the friggin' movie, okay? How about that? 
watch The Lady Vanishes. Do what I did. Get the Criterion Collection Blu-ray. It, it apparently has a second movie starring, not starring, but featuring Caldecott and Charters. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm going to. Um, it's got it's got a lot of good stuff on it, and it's a great restoration. looks beautiful. Yeah, thanks for listening again. Um, if you want to email me, I'm at hitchcockuniversity at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to hit me up on Facebook, Hitchcock University, that's the Facebook page name. On Twitter, we're Hitchcock underscore U. U is in university. And on Instagram, it's just Hitch, as in toe hitch or Hitchcock underscore U, again, as in university. Uh, there's actually nothing on the Instagram. I'm hoping there, there's actually a development going on right now that I think is really going to allow me to, to really use Instagram to its fullest. And, uh, at least as of the time of this recording, I haven't had a chance to do that, but uh, I think you all are going to like it. I did it again, you all. I think everyone's going to like it. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, find me at any one of those places. If you're listening on SoundCloud, uh, there's links just to the right of, of my SoundCloud page that's got uh, my email my uh my facebook and my twitter uh please reach out to me i would really love to hear to hear what you guys think of this what what um you know what you would like to hear um you know how i'm doing as a host Uh, if we need to get somebody better in here i'm actually not entirely opposed to that yeah i would just really like to hear your guys's thoughts uh leave a leave a review rate me I'm on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play. I'm on a lot of places. Uh, pretty much everywhere you get a podcast, I'm there. Yeah, I, ratings, reviews, those are all great. If you want to reach out to me personally, that's awesome. Uh, my name is Taylor Bickle, B as in boy, I-C-K-E-L. I try not to introduce myself every episode because you guys didn't really come to hear me talk. You came to hear me tell you what Hitchcock said. Um, but yeah, go see the lady vanishes. Uh, thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed your time here at Hitchcock University. Uh, come back in a couple weeks. We'll have a whole new class session for you. Thanks very much. Have a great day, guys. Bye.